Well, if you are just jumping in with us, our church family has been walking through the Old Testament book of Isaiah this Christmas season. Uh, Isaiah is a book that was written 700 years before the very first Christmas, and it prophesies with some amazing, amazing level of detail about both the birth and the life of the Messiah who would come and save his people from their sins. And it reminds us that God's word is true and it's reliable. And it reminds us that God's word is filled with promises and life applications for us today, just as much for the people of Israel who it was written for those many years ago. And this afternoon, we're going to look very briefly at four verses from the book of Isaiah in chapter 61. And our desire is to determine from this text what is the true meaning of Christmas or what is Christmas all about? Um, is it vacation? Vacation is good, right? A break from work or time off from school. Uh, maybe it is shopping. We love presents, right? Presents are good. Or Christmas lights. Who loves Christmas lights? I love Christmas lights. Maybe it's about travel or um, spending time with family and all the wonderful warm fuzzies, you know, that we get uh, when we get to be together. Or maybe it's, uh, it's something aspirational like world peace. Uh, and all those things, of course, are nice things. They are good things. But none of those things are ultimately what Christmas is all about. And so the word of Isaiah here in chapter 61 is going to help us figure out the answer to this question. Hear now the word of God, Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 4 says this, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him." This verse and scripture as a whole is going to tell us that Christmas is ultimately about three very important things that we must all know this afternoon. The first is this, that the waiting is over, that the waiting is over. Isaiah, at the beginning of this passage, he says, oh, now I need every, this is a participatory element here. I need everybody to say, oh, one more time, one, two, three. Oh, that is the idea behind what is happening here. Now, the praise team made fun of me uh, this week because I chose three out of our four songs all begin with that same O. Oh. Uh, we sang, O oh, Come All Ye Faithful. We were going to sing, O oh, Holy Night, except I forgot the charger. And uh, O oh, Come, O oh, Come, Emmanuel. You know, what's interesting to me is the words in English that usually help us express what we're really feeling in our hearts aren't really words at all. Right? So if you think about it, uh, when you experience pain, you don't go, oh, I have a slight aching in my epidermis region, right? When you're hurting, what do you do? You go, ow, right? Or if you're, if you're experiencing fear and terror, you go, ah, or if you see a spider in my household, you go, ee, right? You ever been there? Exactly. Or when we behold beauty, like when we see a newborn baby, what do we do? Aww. Right? And when we, when we experience longing, 
when we experience desire in a deep down way, when we're waiting for something or someone, we go, oh, and that is what is being expressed here because we've all been, we've all waited for things and maybe you find yourself waiting for something even now. Um, For some of you, you're just waiting for a day to sleep in. Or if you're a kid, you're waiting for that next, that, that birthday party that's coming. Or all of us are probably waiting for Christmas morning, right? We're all waiting and anticipating. For others of us, we're just waiting for a better job, right? You've been there? Or you're waiting for graduation, or you're, meet, you're waiting to meet the love of your life. You're waiting to have a child, all good things again, but there is something or someone that is even better. You know, if we could harness the collective anticipation of every kid in the room for Christmas morning, it, it still would pale in comparison to the desire that we as humanity have to see the hopes in our heart and lives fulfilled. There is a waiting that's taking place. For the Israelites in Isaiah 61, it's no different. Israel and Judah have come through centuries of wandering. They've come through uh, centuries of captivity in Egypt. They've gone through the Exodus. They've experienced judgment. They've experienced exile, and, and they're still waiting because there's no solution to their sinfulness. There's no solution to their hard-heartedness or for the pain that they experience, that we experience, because we live in a, a broken world. And the message of the Bible is that the waiting is over and that the promise has come. Do you know at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 3.15, we get a promise. God said, one will come who will crush the head of the serpent, Satan. In the Old Testament, in the book of Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2, we're told that one will come from that little nothing town of Bethlehem who will be ruler of all Israel, whose coming, it says, is from ancient of days. We looked a couple weeks ago at Isaiah chapter 9 that says, uh, in a prophetic promise, it says, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But how about this one, Isaiah seven fourteen? we began this Christmas series here. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Guys, the waiting is over because, number two, God has come down to you. God's love is enough to come down to us and for us. That's why Isaiah says, oh, that you would rend the heavens. Rend means to rip God, that you would rip open the heavens and that you would come down. Now, if we fast forward to the New Testament, look at the very first gospel, the gospel of Matthew in chapter 1. It says this, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Love has come down and God is with us. Look at how it's spoken in Luke chapter 1. Coming to Mary, it says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, 
and of His kingdom there will be no end. See, the reality is this, Jesus, the King of heaven, left the throne room of heaven, left seeing God face to face, a place of perfection, a place where there was no sin, where there was no pain, of complete joy, of total glory, of hope fulfilled, Jesus came down. He put on human flesh, born by a miracle, born of a virgin, that is, He is fully God and became fully man, yet without sin. You know, Isaiah mentions three times in this little passage, he mentions quaking or trembling as what we and what creation will do in His presence. Why? Why? Well, I will suggest to you that it's the same reason that the angel had to tell both Mary and Joseph, do not be afraid, do not be terrified, because God is powerful, God is holy, God has authority, He is the King. And yet, why does a baby born to save the world inspire fear and trembling here, it would suggest? Well, let me give you uh, an answer through another book, a book that many of us are familiar with, children's book, in fact, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. And Susan, one of the main characters, asks the beavers, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, the very same question about Aslan. Allow me to read you a part of the story. They say to her, I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Jesus is the Lion of Judah, says Scripture. He is the King of all kings. He is the God of creation. And yet, He says of Himself that He is gentle and lowly, that He is good, and He shows us in that He has come down to you and I in love. Which brings us to our third reality, and that is that you can know Him personally. You can know Him personally. Isaiah says, oh, that you would make known your name to your adversaries. What's the first thing you ask when you meet someone? Their name, right? Or the first thing you might tell them about yourself when you meet them is your name. What's the first gift that parents bestow on a newborn baby? A name. Our name is personal. It's meaningful. It gives us, in a sense, it gives us a part of our identity, you know, in the Scripture, Old and New Testament, very often when someone was named, and it's recorded in Scripture, that name had an almost prophetic sense to it. It would tell you a little bit about how that person's life was going to go or who they were going to be, what their calling and their purpose was. The angels tell Mary and Joseph what to name their son who is going to come, and they say, give him the name Jesus. The name Jesus or Yeshua literally means in Hebrew, the Lord saves. The Lord saves. But Jesus gave His name not just to friends, not just to family or those that He cared a lot about. Jesus gave His name to His adversaries, that is literally His enemies. 
Jesus shared his name with his enemies. And what we ought to realize this morning is outside of Jesus Christ's grace towards us, we were enemies with God. And that is exactly what Isaiah wants us to realize. See, our sin, all of us, our sin made us enemies with God. But Jesus has made peace with God and us. In the New Testament, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 10 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But verse 10 says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled, that is restored in relationship. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. See, Jesus was born of a virgin, so that in his perfect life, he would offer the perfect sacrifice for our sins. In his death, he would pay the debt that we could never pay off ourselves. In his resurrection, though, he would make us brothers and sisters, a part of his family, and give us eternal life with our heavenly Father. In his perfect justice, Jesus says, sins must be paid for, but in his perfect grace, Jesus says, put it on my tab. Put it on my tab. In fact, I'll exchange your debt for my righteousness. So Jesus came at Christmas with his heart and mind already focused on the cross at Easter. What's the greatest Christmas gift that you've ever been given? You can think of a lot of wonderful things that you have been given. Family, you might even see your salvation. And salvation is an incredible gift, but I want us to realize that the greatest gift that the God of this universe has ever given us is Himself, that you can know Him and have a relationship with Him personally and eternally. And you may say, yeah, but you don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the sins that, that I've committed. You don't know the mistakes that I have made. But let me tell you that the gospel says there is no mistake you can make that he can't forgive. There's no mistake that you can make as a believer that could separate you from his love. You say, well, sin is a big deal, and yes, it is a big deal. Jesus Christ ultimately had to die for our sins, but your sin, no matter how bad, pales in comparison to the grace that sent Jesus to save and the grace that sent him to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. The gift has been given. Love has come down. He has made himself available. And all you need to do is ask to receive that free gift. I invite you on behalf of Jesus to come to know him personally. The waiting is over. Love has come down. God has come down and you can know him personally. Let's take a minute and let's pray together to this good and loving God who has made himself known through His Son, Jesus Christ.